It's great to be in the house of God this morning, isn't it? And I know we've already honoured mums in the house, but I want to personally honour you. I want to honour the spiritual mums and the grandmothers in this house. I became a Christian at the age of 19 in this house. It's a different, we've moved house since then, as in we've moved the physical building. But I want to thank God for the spiritual mothers. Some of them were never married. Some of them never had children of their own, but they were spiritual mothers to me. And they were an example to us. So I honour all the mothers here this morning. But I'm going to read from the Bible this morning as we continue to look at the theme of what it means to be Pentecostal. Please don't turn off, guys, because probably the main character in the story is a woman, but there is a man in there too. And it's a story that you've all heard. I remember hearing it probably about three or four year old at Sunday school, this story. And I, and I love the woman it's about. She's a role model for me. So if you can, you can turn in your Bibles to First Samuel this morning. And I'm starting at chapter, it's chapter one, and I'm going to start reading at verse one. There was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zophite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives, one was called Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. And year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophti and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and could not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting in a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. And in bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used in his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eliah observed her mouth, Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. And Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I'm pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favour in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Drama. Elkanah lay with his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. You know, this morning, as we read, we've read that passage we learned about Elkanah, 
and his two wives. And all you men who have got a wife this morning, you might say, why on earth would he take a second wife? <laughs> One's more than enough. The first woman is Hannah. The first wife is Hannah. And she was a woman who was much loved, but was barren. The other was his second wife, called Phineas, who, Penina, sorry, who was very fruitful and had many sons and daughters. And every year they would go up to Shiloh to make an annual sacrifice. And every year was the same. Everywhere, every year was the same. Because barrenness at that time was looked upon as if she, Hannah had lost the fever of God. And Penina had many sons and daughters. It wasn't that she just had one son or one daughter. She had many sons and daughters. And every year, Hannah would go up with her husband to Shiloh and his other wife. And I want to just share a few things this morning that I've seen that I think as Pentecostal people, it's good for us to learn and to put into place. And the first one is, we need to position ourselves to encounter God. When we came along to church this morning, we were actually obeying God's word. Because in Hebrews 10 and 25 it says, And let us not neglect the meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now in that day of his return, as the, this day of his return is drawing near. We're meant to come together. Now I know there's people who are part of this church who can't come here um, because of their health and physical reasons. But for those of us that are able, we need to position ourselves to encounter God. And part of that is coming to church on a Sunday morning. Do you know, when we come together, something happens. God is here and God moves when we come together. When you're not here, something's missing. You might not think you're missed because you think, oh, there's so many people there they won't miss me. But what you bring is missing. When our kids were small, they used to go to kids' camp and you thought, oh, yes, a week without the kids. And it was great for a day, sometimes a night, because the house was quiet and the house was tidy. But you know what? It wasn't long before the house was too quiet. The house was too tidy. So a week from the day that you dropped them off, we would turn up at the pickup point about an hour and a half, two hours early, because we were so desperate to have them back. When you're not here, there's something missing. When you're not here, what you bring is missing. When you're not here, that person that God wanted you to say hello to, to encourage, doesn't get that encouragement. So you are needed and you should be here. So we need to position ourselves to come along to church and be together. When we come to church, go to life group or the prayer meeting, we're positioning ourselves to encounter God. And God uses his time to empower us and equip us. And he uses them to encourage us. Coming together with God's people is the right thing to do. And this morning as we read about Hannah, she did what was right. And she positioned herself to encounter God in the midst of all the disappointment and all the distress that she felt herself in. She positioned herself to encounter God. You know, so often, as Christians, that's not what we do. When we're in despair, when we're distressed, when things aren't going right in life, we don't come and position ourselves 
in church before God, we actually take ourselves out. We retract. We move away. We think, I'm not going to go. I'll go next week. I might feel better next week. When really, God wants you to come at those times and be real and let him meet you and let him encounter you. When we're fighting battles, we don't need to be isolated. When we're fighting battles, we need to be together. We're brothers and sisters here this morning. We're the people of God. And when you're feeling weak, somebody else is feeling strong and they're there to hold you up. They're there to lift you up. But you have to encounter God. You have to position yourselves to receive that comfort, to receive that strength, to receive that encouragement. Hannah had become so overwhelmed by her barrenness. For years and years she'd gone up to the temple and for years and years she'd been goaded by Penina and she'd become so overwhelmed with her barrenness that her barrenness defined her. She was defined by her barrenness. And sometimes we allow things in our life to define us. Mums, I think you're absolutely wonderful, but do you know what? You weren't always a mum. So don't let being a mum define you this morning. Don't let your past define you this morning. Don't let your present define you. Don't let your future define you. Don't let what's happened to you define you this morning. Don't let any role, your career, your financial status, don't let these things define you. Don't let where you were born define you. I was born in a street that I loved. It was a great street to grow up in. But you know, most people... And Blantyre would not have thought that was a good street. I had a reputation. But it was a good street to grow up in. But don't let the street you were born into or brought up in define you. The place where you live define you. Because you see, this morning, you're the people of God. This morning, you've got the Spirit of God living inside you if you know Jesus Christ is your Saviour. That's the same Spirit that rose Christ for the dead dwells in you. As Pentecostal people, we should be defined by the Spirit of God living within us. When people look at you, they know you're different because the Spirit of God is living in you. But you know, thankfully, Hannah did go up to the temple and she positioned herself. And you know, I said it's important for us to come together because when Hannah went in the midst of despair to go and encounter God, God put Eli there. And yeah, he misread the whole situation. Don't we often misread the whole situation? Don't we sometimes think when we're in the midst of all the chaos, midst of all the despair, don't we misread it? Don't we sometimes say, God, where are you? You've left me. Where's God? He's nowhere to be found. But you know, God was right there in the midst of despair. And she prayed, and she didn't pray audibly, so much so that Eli misread the situation and thought she was a drunk woman an evil woman, but she wasn't. She was a woman whose heart was breaking and she was crying out to God. And when she spoke to Eli, Eli blessed her. And you know, we need to be people who no matter what's going on in our life, we will not take ourselves out of coming together. We won't take ourselves away from the presence of God, away from the people of God, but that we'll run and position ourselves to encounter him. You're not defined this morning by your past, your present, or your future. God's got so much more for your life. When we position ourselves 
to encounter God, we hear his voice. We receive wisdom to make the right decisions. We're encouraged to be light in our world. And your position is so important. But your position's not your title. It's not your role. It's not your part. We've got a great worship team. But you know, they're not defined by the instruments they play or how well they sing or how well they lead us on a Sunday morning. They're defined by the Spirit of God that's living within them. And they bring their gifts. They bring what God's given them and they use them to encourage us and lead us. But secondly, as well as positioning ourselves as Pentecostals, we should be positioning others. I did say there was another character, influential character in the story, and that second one I want to mention is Hannah's husband, Okana. This is what the Matthew Henry commentary says of Okana. It says he was a country Levite, and for aught that appears, had not any place or office which required his attendance at the tabernacle. But he went up as a common Israelite with his own sacrifices to encourage his neighbours and set them a good example. Wow. Do you know that's what we should be as Christians? We don't need a position. We don't need a standing in the community. We just need to be the people of God. We need to encourage one another, but our lives need to be an example. Elkanah positioned his wives and his family to encounter God. Every year he made that journey and he didn't need to. Now, I'm sure Elkanah felt the tension between Penina and Hannah. He had to live with them. But he felt that tension. The very fact that he had to say to Hannah, Am I not, do I not mean more to you than all these sons and daughters? made me realise he knew the tensions that were there between Hannah and Penina. And yet, he went every year up to Shiloh. I think possibly if I was a man and I had those two wives, I might have said, just stay at home, I'll go up to the temple myself. But Elkanah didn't, because Elkanah wanted to position his wives to encounter God. He knew that he couldn't change their situation, but he knew that God could. And you know, every one of us... We've got things that have happened to us. We've got things that we've done. We've got things that have been said about us and they've left marks in our life. And I want to tell you this morning, there's not a person walking on earth that can actually deal with them and get rid of them all and cover them over and make you whole. It's only Jesus. And we need to position ourselves, but we also need, as people of God, to position other people so that God, so that they can encounter this living God. Hannah encountered Eli, and through him ministering to her, because Elkanah had made her go to Shiloh, God took away her barrenness, and she gave birth to a son. And she'd made a vow to God when she was crying out to him that she would give her son back to him, and she did. She kept that vow, and I have to say wow to that, because her son would not have even been three years old when she took him back to the temple to leave him to leave him with Eli, to leave him with God. And I don't know as a mum if I could have done that. Thankfully, God never put me in that position. She put Samuel, she took him and kept her vow to God. And Hannah so proved that God can help us do the impossible. Because I would think that's an impossible thing to do. 
would have been for me to take my son or my daughter, bring them here to new life and say, I'm giving them back to God and I'm just leaving them here and I'll see them once a year. But Hannah proved that when you honour God, God honours you. And we read that she went on to have other children. Parents, when you come to the church in the morning and you bring your kids, you're positioning your kids to encounter God. It might not seem like that. You might think you're just bringing them and you're actually just want them to hear about the gospel and hear about Jesus so that they'll be good citizens. We used to run a wee kids club in Irvine and we run it because my son was just going to school. And I thought, maybe this kids club will mean his friends will come and he'll not get bullied for being a Christian. And God honoured me. But the thing about it was, I was positioning my son and his friends to encounter God. Do you know, I heard a woman, um, she's a famous preacher's wife and from America, and she was getting interviewed, and her kids had grown up, and they were all walking with God, and the interviewer said, um, what, what's your secret? What's the secret for your children going on with God? And she says, well, there's not a secret. All I did was position my kids to encounter God. So I took them to church. I dropped them off at the youth, the youth night. I dropped them off at youth camp and picked them up. All I was doing was positioning them so they could encounter God. Our kids need to encounter God for themselves. We can't do it for them. We need not just to position ourselves, but to position in others. A long time ago, there was an elderly couple named George and Sarah. And George and Sarah were good neighbours. They were fabulous neighbours. They were actually the salt of the earth. What we as Christians are called to be, they were the salt of the earth. George and Sarah didn't have any children, and George was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. They were elderly people. They were probably at that time, looking back, about 70. But they had positioned themselves to encounter God. And in hearing God's word, they realised that this Christian faith wasn't just for George and Sarah. It was actually for others. But they needed to position others to encounter God. So George used to take a three-year-old girl who lived next door to Sunday school every week. And he had been out in the morning at church, would have been home, would have hardly probably had time for a cup of tea when he'd pick the wee girl up and take her to church. And as his Parkinson's disease progressed and he couldn't get out of the house, he then arranged for another young woman in the church to come and take these wee girl and her sister to church. They were positioning others to encounter God. Those kids were me and my sister. And today we are both walking with God. George and Sarah never lived to see that day. But they were a big part of it. And that's what God wants us to be. He wants us to be a George and Sarah. That's all he's looking for. He's not looking for us to be the big evangelist that travels all over the world in our jet plane. God's looking for George and Sarahs that live next door, that live in the street, that know people and just be salt and light. I thank God for George and Sarah. But let me encourage you, child, your parents here today. I know some of you, and you brought your children and you positioned them, and they're not walking with God today. But I want to tell you, Hannah brought Samuel to the temple, 
And if you read through the life of Samuel, there's a point that says, and God was with Samuel. Do you know when we're positioned our kids to hear from God? God never leaves them. So whatever your children are to do, whatever they're doing, whatever their life looks like, God has never left them, and he never will. And they will be back. They'll be back because God is faithful and he honours us. So keep praying. You might not be able to physically bring them here and place them to encounter God on a Sunday, but you can encounter, you can position them in prayer before the throne of God. You can position them in prayer and bring them before God, praying that they will have their encounter with him. Because I believe it. I believe we're going to see the lost returning. I'm so excited about it. I really believe. I know we've believed for it for years and years and years, but I believe the time's coming when they're going to be coming up the drive. They're going to be coming in the doors. Those that don't live here are going to be going in another door and they're going to be part of the kingdom of God. But don't give up because when we position others to encounter God, they encounter them. George and Sarah actually placed my sister and I to encounter God. I was three my sister probably was three by the time she started coming along. It was about 35 years before my sister encountered God. So don't give up this morning. Our job is to position others to encounter God for themselves. George and Sarah, I said, were the light of the earth. George and Sarah were part of the only Bible that my mum and dad ever read. My mum and dad recognised George and Sarah and the young woman who took over from them, and they held them in high esteem. They were the only Bible that they read in their young life. And I thank God my mum's encounter or experience God and Christianity was harsh growing up, and God was an angry God. He was a, a God of rules and a God that was just actually looking to pull you up, looking for you to fail so they could hit you with a big stick. But I thank God for George and Sarah's because my mum saw in them a God that loved her and I thank God that the time came when she accepted that loving God. We have had so many. I mentioned the spiritual mums and grandmothers in this house and I have had so many of them. And if I could tie their shoelaces, I'd be doing okay. But let's position ourselves to encounter God but position others to encounter them too. Finally, as Pentecostals, we have the Spirit of God within us. I mean, if you actually, it blows my mind. I actually can't take it in sometimes that that same Spirit that raised Christ for the dead dwells in me and dwells in you. It's mind-blowing. And I believe God's looking for us to position ourselves, to position others, but to position our nation to encounter God. Our nation needs an encounter with God. Our world needs an encounter with God. We've heard about the floods in Malawi. I actually thank God I had the privilege of going to Malawi and I loved Malawi. But the people in Malawi, no matter how needy they are in our eyes, they, all they need is Jesus. All they need is a move of God. They need to encounter God. Because we can have so much, but if we don't have an encounter with God, if we don't have Jesus Christ as our saviour, it's all going to pass away. It's temporary, and he is the one thing that's going to last forever. I heard someone once say that the earth, that humanity 
is crying out for a change. Humanity is crying out for God. And we are his people and we have his spirit within us. That same spirit that raised Christ for the dead is in you and me this morning. And God is waiting for us to position ourselves, to position others, to position our nation so that he can move. He's actually not waiting for politicians. We sometimes look to politicians and think if we could just change those politicians, the next ones might be the answer. Sorry to burst your bubble this morning. There's only one name that can make a difference that will actually change the world, and that's Jesus Christ. He's no waiting for the kings. He's no waiting for queens and presidents. He's waiting for his people. And I was reminded of the verse that's in Second Chronicles 7 and 14, and Craig Thompson quotes it all the time. And it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal the land. I don't know about you, but I want to see where land healed. The land I live in is not the land I lived in as a wee girl. And probably my granny and my great-granny probably thought that it wasn't what it was when they had. But I want God to move in this land. I want to see the power of God in the land. And I know you do. But it's time for us. We are the people. And it's our time. I honestly sense that it's the timing of God. Um, it's time for us to humble ourselves. That's not easy. But it's the right thing to do. It's time to ditch the excuses for not being in our place, for not positioning ourselves. It's time to stand up and take our positions. It's time to repent, you know, if we really want to see revival. And that verse God's given is that key. God's not holding back revival. We, the church, are holding back revival. We need to repent of making it about the things that don't really matter. We need to repent of neglecting coming together as God's people. We need to repent for being too busy to position ourselves and too busy to position others. When we put everything in to positioning ourselves and others and our nation to encounter God, then God will come and he'll heal our land. We sing a song. I couldn't even find it this morning to get the words. But there's a bit in it, and it says, um, don't you tell me that you can't do it. Do you know what? And I haven't got the words, but this is what I felt when I was actually praying. praying. When we get it right, when we get into position, and we do what God's asking us to do, we're going to see numerous people coming to Christ, coming to salvation as people are added to the kingdom daily. We will see cancers healed. We'll see families restored. We'll see the strongholds of addiction broken. That's what God wants to do. And he's just waiting for us to position ourselves. As I was praying about this message, I was reminded of Mordecai and Esther, the book of Esther. And Esther, we all know this, well, most of us will know the story. Esther was just a, an ordinary girl. She's probably, it's probably the fairy tale in the Bible. Every wee girl wants to be a princess. And Esther was a young Jewish girl who ended up in the palace of the king. And he became the king, the king's favourite. She became Queen Esther. But she was Jewish. 
and there was a decree that was going to wipe the Jewish people off the earth. And Mordecai, her uncle, said to her that it was time for her to go before the king. And she was like, oh, I can't before the king. Anybody that goes before the king that's not been invited, it means death, unless the king held out his scepter. And Mordecai said these words to Esther. He says, for if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your family's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. You know, it looked like Esther was destined for the palace. It looked like God's plan for Esther's life was to get her to the palace where she would become queen. But God's plan was bigger than that. God's plan that Esther would bring deliverance to her people. You know, God's plan for us is to be more than New Life Church on a Sunday. His plan's so much bigger. His plan is that our church would be part of God's plan to bring deliverance of his people. Esther's people were the Jewish people. But there was a time, just over 2,000 years ago, the Bible tells us in John 3.16, that for God so loved the world that he gave his son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever would believe in him would have everlasting life. God's no looking to deliver a race. He's actually looking to deliver a world. Every man, woman and child was included in that verse. And God wants to use us. I think it was in Africa, one of the countries, and they said that, I think it's actually maybe compassion, like if you change a child, you can change the nation. And I know that there was a genocide in Rwanda where they killed everybody, wiped out the people. And they're trying to rebuild that, but they realise they have to build it from children all the way up. We're told to do that. They, 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 they raise children and they're, they're going to be the politicians tomorrow. They're going to be the doctors. They're going to be the lawyers. They're going to be everything that the nation needs to rebuild. And God's just looking for us this morning. Will we position ourselves? Will we position ourselves? Do you know, what have we got to fear? Do you know, we can think, you know, now that I've got my bus pass, we can think... I'll just sit back and enjoy a Sunday and I'll even make it out to the prayer meeting on a Wednesday. I'll just let all the young people go on with it. I've done my bit. But I'm going to tell you, God's looking for everyone is. There's no expiry date in God. You might see a graveyard and there's an end date. Well, until that end date comes, Mission Earth is still your mission. So let's go. A sense... I sense the time, and I've, I've been a Christian since I was 19, and the one church, and that's a great church. I know it's a great church. And there's been times when we have been so on the cusp of the wave, and it's looked like, this is it. But I'm going to tell you, this is it. This is our time. God is raising up his people. We're not just, it's not just New Life Press Week. God is moving. Scotland and all across the world. He's moving and he's asking us this morning, will you position yourself? Okay, you might not be able to do what you used to do. I'd love to say that I could run a mile before, but I couldn't. But there was a time, about 20, maybe 15, 20 years ago, where I climbed Ben Lomond and I bagged a Monroe. Couldn't do that now. 
but God's not finished with me yet. God's wanting me to position myself for today, for what he's got for me to do today, because we won't do it as Lone Rangers, we'll do it together, and God is looking for us this morning. I'm in no doubt that we've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I have sensed there's an urgency in the times that we're living in. The world is so shaky. Can't find a better word for it. It's so shaky. We've had earthquakes in Turkey. We've got flooding in Malawi. We've got so many things happening in our world that this is our time. So this morning, I'm going to ask the band to come back up. Are we going to be part of what God's doing? Are we going to go beyond what we thought God's plan for our life was this morning? Esther thought it was just to be the queen. But it was more than that. It came at the point where she had to put her life on the line because God's plan was the deliverance of his people. So this morning, let's just all stand if we can, please. This morning you might never have positioned yourself to encounter God before. You have maybe never accepted Jesus Christ as your saviour. But I want to tell you this morning that he loves you and he sent his son to die on the cross for you. And all you have to do this morning is respond and accept him. For those of us that know him, will we position ourselves? will be part of what he's doing. People call it the last days. They've been talking about the last days since 20, 1982 when I first got saved and we thought that Jesus was coming back that year. But we're closer to his coming back than we've ever been. But Mordecai says to Esther, God will deliver his people. But you and your family won't. I don't have a big family. If I take my sister, my sister-in-law and brother-in-law and their kids and everything, there's probably about 25 of us, not many. But if I then extend it to my cousins and to their children, Jim's cousins, their children, quite a lot is. I don't want just my family to experience the move of God and encounter God. I want my whole family, but I want my friends, I want my neighbours. So this morning, we'll be positioning ourselves Will we position others? Will we be the George and Sarahs? There's people out there just waiting for us to invite them. Yeah, we can invite people a hundred times. George and Sarah invited me, but I was 19 before I actually encountered God. My sister was probably about 37 before she encountered God, but they positioned us all those years ago. Let's be people who will just position ourselves, position others, and position our nation. Do you know, not just Scotland, but Scotland was known as the land of the book. Scotland was a place where God was moving. I went to the Salvation Army Sunday School and it was founded by a man called William Booth. And he lived in London in the darkest of times. My gran was born in those dark times. She lived in London. But they say working men would get their wage and go to the pub and get drunk and go home to the wife and the wife had no money to feed the family and when they heard the gospel and responded they never drank again they walked away from their addiction do you know when we position ourselves when we position others when we, when we get it right that's the power of God 
We won't need to send folk to rehab. God's power will break the addiction. God's power will heal cancers. I've seen somebody get out of a wheelchair before years ago when I went to a conference, but it'll become the norm that God heals cancers. I've heard of people who've went into surgery and the cancer's been gone, but it'll become something that happens if we'll position ourselves. Amen. Thank you.